0: To Daylight Football Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Burroughs. I am joined today once again by Justin Linero. You can follow me on Twitter at Todd from PA. That's T O D, Todd with one D from PA. And you can follow him at Justin Linero, L O N E R O, on Twitter. And we are going to be discussing running backs today. Uh, we have a special guest who we're hoping is going to call in, and we're waiting for him to join us, Dave Richards. But in the meantime, it's Justin and I. Justin,
1: how you doing? Doing good, Todd. Uh, another busy weekend. Obviously, today there was some sad news down south, but well, what a country we, we live in. We can talk football here on a Sunday night and um, give our two cents. And, and tonight it sounds like we're going to talk about running back. So I'm excited. Yep.
0: Yep, today we're going to be talking about the changing uh, way that the running back position has evolved both in the NFL and, of course, that has officially started to be mirrored in the and, uh, in fantasy. So since Dave isn't here at this time, why don't you and I go forward? Um, you've been playing fantasy football about how many years, Justin? And during that time... How has your approach to the running back position changed? Well, it's 17
1: years, Todd. About 17 years, I think, and I think it's changed quite a bit. I talked to John Laub, who works at FootballDieHards.com, and he was uh, making 1989 references the other night and then discussing how Barry Sanders was taken in, in certain drafts and um, early in. That trickled into when I started to play in the early 2000s. I can remember the Edrin James of the world, the Eddie Georges of the world, uh, Priest Holmes, of course, Ladanian Tomlinson. These guys would all get a ton of carries.
0: I'm so going to interrupt were... you for a second, uh, Justin, because it looks like sure. Dave has just joined us. And uh, Dave, are you there?
2: I am. Good evening, gentlemen. Hi, um, hey,
0: good to have you on the show. I'm Todd. Uh, Justin is also here with us, and this Todd, is Dave. I know Dave. All
2: about you, Todd. You're you're fantastic, Justin. I don't know anything about that guy. I don't know who he is, but we'll give him a <laughs> shot. To see if uh, I good. think that that's
0: probably <laughs> the wisest way to play this, since I'm in control of the uh, the soundboard. Uh, but I, I do want to give you a proper introduction, Dave Richard. Uh, started his career at with NFL.com at the boom of the internet. Uh, he was that site's first fantasy football writer before transitioning to CBS Sports in 2006. Since then, he's crunched the numbers, studied the film, developed tiers and trade charts, previewed every NFL game, talked to the decision makers, and done TV and radio. Now on our humble podcast, Dave Richard, welcome to the Run to Daylight Football Podcast.
2: Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Let's talk some ball.
0: All right. So basically, the premise of the show and the key thing, I was just asking Justin. He's been playing fantasy football 17 years. I started in 2000. I always know when I started because it was Edron James' rookie year. And back then gaining two to three running backs in the beginning of these drafts, guys who were studs, who could, you could count on every week was the way to win fantasy leagues. Um, how long have you personally been playing fantasy leagues? And was that pretty much also the way that you built great teams for most of your career? Uh,
2: yeah, I would say that that's how i built teams uh through most of my career, and I know it sounds crazy now to say it, but I still am, and I can explain that. I started playing fantasy in 1997. We barely used the Internet. Uh, we still – there There were still newspapers and, and notebooks and, and pens and paper, uh, but it took me four years to win my very first fantasy league. I was not one of these guys who uh, started playing fantasy football and was some sort of, you know, you know, baby genius or whatever. I I couldn't do it. For for my first my first 3 years playing fantasy football, I was awful. I finished with like four or five wins. I didn't know what I was doing. And then it was frustrating me. It was actually making me very angry. And what I what I've learned in my life is whenever something makes me angry, I need to walk away from it. But for whatever reason when it came to fantasy football, I wanted to take one more crack at it. And I promised myself, at this point I was already working at CBS, and I promised myself, you know what, if I, if I study football all offseason long, pay attention to where everybody moves and where all the players go, hopefully I can be in a spot where I can play in a league and win a league. So I, I did it one last offseason. I studied hard. I paid attention to everything. And I won the league in 2001. It was the first time I ever won a league. It was a league that I am still in today, and I have won five times since then. And uh, I've won a bunch of other leagues too. I've pretty much won at least one league every year since then, sometimes two or three or four. And I credit it all to just paying attention to football year-round. So I know a lot of people might be thinking, well, what's the point of listening to to a podcast in the middle of June? Well, I'll tell you what, if you want to win your fantasy leagues, pay attention to the podcast in the middle of June do it in July too. And there's absolutely nothing going on until training camp opens fantasy football. To me, it's a year round game. And if you're not paying attention year round, then you're a sucker who's going to win four or five games every year, unless you get lucky.
0: I couldn't agree more. I had a lot of success pretty much right out of the gate, but I parlayed my ability to in sales. And I made a lot of good trades that, uh, kind of spiked my results early and back in those days there was always a couple really bad guys who didn't take your advice who really didn't study and they were easy prey for guys like myself who were good traders Um, since we are taking this to the the running back level obviously the NFL has changed dramatically in its usage of running backs over the last few years We've seen it in the NFL draft where most of the last few years you haven't seen a running back even drafted in the first round. How have you adapted your strategy over the last couple years, if you have, to adjust for the changing usage of running backs?
2: I, the, the very first thing of all, and this is just something I've always done, is draft a lot of running backs because it's the most injury-prone position every week a running back goes down. It, sometimes it's not a big name, but sometimes – or you can count on it. And sometimes it's a very big name.
0: Last so, year it was I, an
2: epidemic. Last year, I mean, pretty much every running back that was taken in the first round who was not named Adrian Peterson either got hurt or absolutely sucked. So <laughs> you, you, it was really a terrible year. And I think that that's shaping the way that people look at running backs now. They had this terrible, rotten experience because they took Jamal Charles and they tore his ACL or they drafted Eddie Lacy and he, he played like the state-plus marshmallow man. It could be any number of things, but it shaped their opinions. And they said, you know what, I'm going to get away from that. I'm going to be safe in the first round. I'm going to take a wide receiver. Can't argue with that logic at all. My colleague Jamie Eisenberg is following that logic. He thinks that's the right way to go. I look at it a little bit differently, and believe it or not, Rob Gronkowski is part of the reason why I look at it differently. Gronk is a first-round pick. A lot of people think so. Some people are going to say, nah, he's a second-round pick. Whatever. He's going to be a first-round pick in pretty much every draft because he's such a difference maker in his position, and he scores points like a running back or a wide receiver. He finished in the top ten in both of those last year. If you would call him a running back, he would have finished as the fifth-best running back last year. He's He's a rare player at his position. Everybody can agree with that. I look at the running backs, and I think that there's maybe three or four of those guys, and really that number to me is four, that are rare. They've got that 20-touch throwback type of potential from week to week. They're going to work the goal line so they could potentially score every week regardless of who they play against. You'll plop them in your lineup you're not going to think twice about it. So I look at four running backs, and three of them specifically, Todd Gurley in L.A., Le'Veon Bell in Pittsburgh, and good old 31-year-old Adrian Peterson in Minnesota. I think all three of them are superstars. They're difference makers at their position. I'm not going to have to worry about people uh, taking a lot of carries from them. Maybe in the case of Le'Veon, there's a little bit of worry because D'Angelo's there. Um, But I, I think those three, along with David Johnson in Arizona, I think they're set very nicely to be difference makers at their position, just like Gronkowski is at hit. But the difference between Gronk and these three or four running backs is this. The running backs, if they hit, if they perform like I think they will, they'll score more points than Gronk, and they'll score more points than any wide receiver, too. So that's why I will still take one of those four running backs, if I can get them in the first round, uh, and, and be very comfortable with it. I can still come back in rounds two and three, And load up on stud receivers.
0: Yeah, one of the you know I I think a lot obviously comes down to the scoring of your league and if you're forced to start two running backs or not. I have some of my leagues where I only have to start one running back and there's a bunch of flex positions and in those leagues I find that you know, the zero running back strategy is more something that I'm willing to embrace. And in fact, I had a lot more success last year. I was kind of the opposite of you where I had a tremendous amount of success my first six years. And then I kind of had a couple of years where I didn't pay as much attention and I was treading water And then last year, again, after studying and getting back into the whole daily fantasy aspect, I had a lot of success. So you mentioned the Arizona, uh, you mentioned David Johnson. He's a guy that I'm super high on. I think he's a guy who can run the ball effectively, uh, catch the ball. And he's also great in the goal line. Three things that, you couldn't ask for any more out of a running back that you're going to take with a first round pick. And I agree with you, but there are some out there who think that Chris Johnson uh, is going to take a lot of his action. I'll go to you first, Dave, and then Justin, what are your thoughts on that? Do Do you think Chris Johnson is something we need to be worried about or is David Johnson just proven that he's so good that it's not going to matter?
2: I mean, to me, this is like a joke that you're even asking. Um, no. Here, here is the only way that Chris Johnson will quote-unquote matter. It's if David Johnson gets hurt or if David Johnson does the opposite of what you and I think is going to happen, and he stinks. If he stinks, then Bruce Arians has options. He can go to his bench and he can say, okay, Chris Johnson, you did good last year. Let's see what you got this year. Go out there and do your thing. Uh, and he can do the same thing with Andre Ellington, too. But you know what? Bruce Arians has to love what he's got in David Johnson. David Johnson was his draft pick. The team loved him last year. They treated him like a rookie last year. It Frustrated fans, and you know what? Now they can put him in as their main running back. And, and I think he's going to get way more carry than what a lot of people think. I, I read somewhere they think he can to get 60% of the work. I think that's if he has just an okay year. I think that's the yeah. number if he's just okay. If he's really good, who's Aaron? Who's going to ride him? There's no doubt in uh, the And by the way, any mm-hmm. running back in Arizona, great offensive line, great mm-hmm. wide receivers, how often is he going to see seven guys in the box? Not very often. There, could, there is a very good case that can be made for David Johnson to be taken number one overall if he wanted to, especially when you look at Arizona's defense. They might put the plants down on their opponents, and it just gives David Johnson a chance to run wild.
0: So, Justin, do you agree with uh, Dave and I, or do you think Chris Johnson is something to worry about?
1: Well, I, I think you have to look at what he did last year, and, and I mean, it was it was certainly special. But for me, uh, I'm not obviously crowning him king quite yet. 125 rushes for close to 600 yards, eight touchdowns. And 30 or so catches, 36 receptions. So he's not sweetness yet, or Barry Sanders. And mentioned Andre Ellington, who's just 27. Um, he's showed us flashes. Obviously, there's been injuries there in the past that he can, you know, put in work, so to speak. I just, I'm one of these guys, and I said it about Odell Beckham on the Fantasy Goodfellas podcast preseason, and I asked every guest on the show. What are your thoughts on Beckham? The majority said he's the real deal. Some people were apprehensive. Um, we saw a full season. He's obviously legit. So I'm I'm skeptical a bit where there is a small sample size. I did read that 60% of the work he could get, but just like probably 80% of the NFL teams, there are platoons and committees. And this I'm not saying this is going to be a full-blown committee. But Chris Johnson was once a first-round fantasy draft pick. Andre Ellington is just 27. I think there are touches to go around for those guys. And, I, again, the sample size is just too small for me with David Johnson, who I viewed, and like Dave said, he got the rookie treatment as more of a special teams player earlier in the season. Then he flourished later in the year. And if you stashed him, he's going he's to benefit a lot of people in keeper leagues you're doing okay for yourself. I, I just want to see more, but there's no question. He's among that list that Dave was talking about in, in terms of the girlies, the Adrian Petersons. I'd actually have Freeman on that list because uh, I think he can handle a, a large workload. We saw that, yeah, but it's a small list for me as far as running backs uh, in the first round, David Johnson would be, would be one of them and he'd probably be four or five on that list. With the All right. So, uh,
0: all right. Well, we got two who think that he's a stud, and one who's not quite convinced. Justin, what team do you want to ask Dave about next?
1: Well, I Dave is from Chicago. I wanna I mean, I suppose we could talk about the Chicago Bears and their running back situation. I mean, that
0: obviously sounds Matt good. Forte
1: is a Jet. Is a Jet. Jeremy Langford. We saw a decent sized dose of of Langford last year. I like him at his ADP. I don't know if Dave does. I know they went out and they drafted Jordan Howard. Kadeem Carey is still there. I think Quiz Rogers is still on the so there's carries to go around, but a guy like Mike Clay is not keen on Jeremy Langford. Name drop there. Um Dave yeah, I'm
0: not gonna blow you up with uh with Dave here. So so Dave, do you think that Jeremy <laughs> Langford's gonna be the guy? What what are your thoughts on Jeremy?
2: Uh I think he's I think at the very least he will be uh, passing downs back, so third third down, second and long, maybe some first and 15s. Uh, I think he's got to earn it in training camp. I don't. I, I think just everything that we've heard about the Bears offseason, how they tried to get in the bidding for C.J. Anderson, to, uh, they were looking at other running backs in the draft, and they eventually landed on Howard. I don't think they're totally satisfied with Jeremy Langford, and I don't think they look at him as a finished product. And even if they did, they would still probably draft Jordan Howard. But I don't think they would have gone after C.J. Anderson and tried to get him to sign an offer sheet. So I'm not very excited about him. Uh, I think you're looking at him going in round three or round four in most drafts. I'm probably not going to be one of those people drafting him. I don't mind taking Jordan Howard round nine, round ten. I like him. I like him. Uh, He's uh, got a lot of potential, but we know how John Fox treats his rookies. So I'm – all of that combined with a not great offensive line in Chicago, I'm probably going to take a pass on Bears back this year.
0: I can understand that. Another guy who right now in MFL 10s in best ball leagues is being drafted around the same time that Langford is, that I'm a little bit higher on, is Ryan Matthews in Philadelphia. That whole team, though, is going to be getting a huge decrease in pace based on the fact that Chip Kelly is leaving. Uh, where do you put Ryan Matthews, and do you think that he is a better choice in that area than Jeremy Langford, or is that just some – are neither one guys that you're really targeting this year, Dave? Uh,
2: yeah, I'm not targeting either one of these guys. Ryan Matthews scares the pants off me. I think he – and that's a bad thing. Um, I think he's going to end up splitting carries. Uh, especially where down. I'm well, sitting. Yeah, Right. Uh right. Darren Sproles is going to be – he's going to get involved. They've talked him up. Wendell Smallwood is a rookie they drafted. Sproles and Smallwood are kind of like the same guy. Um, I don't think Matthews can be trusted to stay healthy for a full season. And do yourself a favor, when you're done tonight with the podcast or when you're done listening to the podcast, go take a look at the Eagles' schedule and take a real close look – At the games they play, it's three in a row, I think, against Dallas, Minnesota, and the Giants. And it's in the first half of the season. And not only do they play, you know, three fairly tough opponents, but each of those opponents, they're going to be coming off of a bye when they play Philadelphia. The Eagles got really screwed with the schedule. And on top of that, they've got a real late-season run that's going to be painful. They've got quarterback issues at the yin-yang. Uh, Ryan Matthews to me is is going to be a wasted draft
0: pick for sure. Wow, that, that's pretty strong. Justin, any thoughts on Ryan Matthews before we move to the next team?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, generally I would agree with Dave there. We saw one full season out of Ryan Matthews in San Diego, 2013. I think they finally got a chance to see what they were drafting out of Fresno State and. He's been an injury-prone guy. It is a mess. And, of, of course, Darren Sproles is still there, and his role is cut out. He'll be 33 next week. Uh, Ken John Barner is still on the depth chart. We haven't seen much of him. He seems like he's been kicking around longer than he has. And, of course, they drafted Wendell Smallwood. So, it's it's another ambig- you know, ambiguous situation there in Philadelphia. But, you know, if I think if Ryan Matthews, and you can get him at a good cost, and he could – piece 16 games together potentially there might be a little bit of value there um he's, he's probably a top 25 guy not much better than that for me but if he felt me in the right spot and put the emphasis on cost and what i'm where i'm going to have to draft him um that's what would matter most to me but he's, he's not jumping out at me but in these mfl 10s that we play todd uh, quite a bit of if the value's right i will grab him Later on, meaning six, round six or, or seven, maybe late in the fifth.
0: All right. So um, I like Ryan Matthews as a value where he's at. But I, I feel like where I'm getting him in the fourth and fifth and sometimes even sixth round, a lot of the issues that you guys have mentioned are baked into the equation. But um, look, he's risky. Uh, the guy... As I started doing MFL tens, that I was most shocked with his ADP though was the Bears' old running back, Matt Forte. The Jets put a lot of money and you know, they don't ha they didn't have a lot of money to spend this offseason. And they let Chris Ivory go and brought Matt Forte in. And yet you're seeing Forte in drafts in the third and fourth round. Dave, do you think Forte is is over or underpriced at that ADP
2: I think he's a great guy to talk about Todd. let's i'll uh I'll answer this and then I got to get moving i think I think the Jets, because of where they were with their salary cap, I don't think they could get Chris Ivory back and you, and you saw what he got from the Jaguars. It's almost like double what they ended up paying Forte so they got Forte at a, at a value price It seems more like a business decision more than anything else and they the day after they signed Matt Forte they brought back La Powell and they signed Kyrie Robinson. So Forte might be their lead back, but I don't think he's going to get the same type of workload that we're accustomed to him seeing. Uh, it's going to be the, the, the dopey fantasy football player that just picked up a magazine on their way to their draft who didn't study this offseason, who sees Matt Forte's name in round two and round three, and they're going to see what he's done in the past, and they know who he is, and they recognize the name, and they're going to draft him. And that's how he's going to end up in round three. But if he's in a smart draft, People are going to wait. I don't think he catches as many passes. I don't think he gets as many carries. He's over the hill in terms of workload goes. Started to break down last season, missed three games. That's rare for him. And he's in an offense that big question mark quarterback, tough schedule on top of it. I think he landed in a pretty bad spot. I wouldn't want him on my team.
0: All right. Well, we thank Dave for joining us and for giving us some really good things to think about, about the people that we brought up to him Dave, thank you so much for doing the show.
2: Happy to be here. Thank you for asking me. And Justin knows all about this. I got to go put the kids to bed.
0: Oh, I'm sure he does. And, uh, again, thank you so much. And you can follow Dave on CBS Sports, where he is the lead fantasy writer studying football all year round. So, Justin, what are your thoughts on Matt Forte?
1: Well, I think Dave nailed it, and he would know better than anybody. Dave's a a Chicago guy. I know he's a Bears fan. I also think he's a Chicago White Sox fan, if I remember correctly. But he's right. I mean, it's unusual historically for Matt Forte to miss games, and he did miss three last year. And now he's in a situation where the quarterback position is is up in the air. As of now, you have Bilal Powell, who I do like, and I think – he can steal some funder from Matt Forte week to week, meaning four or five catches every single week for, for Powell is certainly attainable. And then they go and get Kyrie Robinson, who has been a vulture in the past. New Orleans, he was a, a vulture, and he'll get short yardage work. And I read that Zach Stacy is going to be healthy for camp. So now you're talking about four running backs, and it, it would appear like another – Committee because Powell's going to get the football If you look at what he did last year Week to week it was four or five catches Just about every single week And I think they would be foolish Not to incorporate him In the passing game every single week So Matt Forte is going to be Matt Forte I visualize 220 230 touches but there's going to be Some scratch to go around for these other guys All right. well
0: I got to say, you know, in looking at his stats, uh, I kind of felt a little bit like a jerk there towards uh, when Dave was talking about Matt Forte. Um, I don't think that I'm inexperienced or the type of guy who just picked up the uh, magazine. And I certainly hear what you and him and I know Evan Silva's really on uh, Bilal Powell, but Powell gets dinged up pretty regularly as well. Chris Ivory can't catch the ball, and there's a big difference between a guy who can't catch the ball and a guy who can. Forte averaged 4.1 last year after averaging 3.9 the year before. Certainly not up to his normal standard, but he was behind a pretty bad OL. He had 44 catches. I mean, there was no way he was going to catch near the balls he did when Mark Trestman was there. Um, I still like him in the third or fourth round if you start out pretty heavy with running backs, I mean, with wide receivers. Um, But that's just my take on it, and I'm going to be looking. and, And I guess here's the key point, Justin. In June, we can all have our opinion on what it's going to look like. But once training camp starts and you start seeing how teams use players in the preseason, a lot of these guys in situations that we're guessing about what's going to happen is going to become a lot more clear. And wouldn't you agree with that? And how do you use preseason? To How does preseason kind of change the way that you feel?
1: Well, I mean, you want to monitor situations closely. And while we're talking about the Jets, I mean, this Ryan Fitzpatrick situation seems like a, a nightmare for fantasy owners. If 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 he does indeed sign with the Jets, we saw what he was capable of doing with Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall, and I think that that opened up lanes for Chris Ivory to have one of the better years of his career. And, was, and he moved to Jacksonville, but there's balance on that offense. If you remove ryan fitzpatrick from the equation now you're looking at a gross quarterback situation which will affect the production from eric decker and brandon marshall and the running game might not um, be as solid as i think it was last year so regardless whether you have matt forte or or like i said i like Bilal powell it could be a you know lopsided kind of a a traditional flat jets offense so it's keeping an eye on different things like dave was saying it's 365, you're hearing about injuries. I mean, Rashad Perriman went down the other day in Baltimore. People have been keen on him. That's going to open up space for guys like Kamar Aiken and Mike Wallace. So you're monitoring, constantly monitoring situations, depth charts, and um, what what leads you right into the the tail end of of August into week one?
0: Yep, uh, absolutely, and that's one of the key points to anyone who's listening. What we're the reason that we're doing this podcast today is that these are murkier fantasy places, and a lot of clarity will happen in preseason. For instance, Philadelphia, we, uh, Wendell Smallwood. No one knows how a rookie running back's going to react, or how anyone's going to react, and if Ryan Matthews, you know, plays a quarter the first two weeks and, and looks good and he's obviously playing the first two series and and the offense is running well, well then you, you got to move them up your board. And I guess the point is that it's good to have opinions about where we think these guys should be now, but don't fall in love with your own opinion. And that's one of the key things that I try to work at as a fantasy player don't get locked in to what your preseason thoughts were. Do you understand what I'm saying there, Justin?
1: I do. And if, if you you know if you're not open minded and you're not willing to take in what others have to say in this injury industry, particularly guys like Dave Richard who you know works for CBS Sports that have been doing this for a long time, you know you're becoming narrow minded. You're not open to different things that people are saying. Now they're not always right. Most of the things that you know, a guy like myself will say, or, or you or Dave, they're hypotheses. You know, we gather collective information and we do the best we can with that information. Obviously, we're not Nostradamus predicting what another individual can do every single game. But I, I like to, and I tweeted out yesterday, Todd. I, you know, I'll buy fantasy magazines forever. I used to get ragged on. Four or five magazines I would buy and read it from front to back. Perspective is the key word, keeping an open mind, listening to the beat writers. It's important to, to follow some of these beat writers or all of these football beat writers for each team to get the lowdown on, on what that player on that team in that city is doing week to week, leading up to week one.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. And then there's the balance. And the balance is if you feel really strongly about someone and you hear counter-opinions, if you don't, you know, like a guy, who's the guy, gosh, we're going to go to the Titans next. Who is the guy that was their lead back last year? It was the second round pick. Um, oh, I can't think Bishop of Bishop Sankey Bishop Sankey. I hated him at the senior bowl. I hated him when I watched him as a rookie. I didn't draft him at all. My first year, And I ended up drafting him once or twice last year because he looked good in preseason and because there were a few guys on Twitter hot on him and I needed a running back in the seventh round. And he turned into a pumpkin immediately afterwards. If you really feel that your eyes have shown you something and in other words, it's important to consider what other people say But you also have to, at a certain gut level, not let people and their opinions dominate your own belief systems.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you hear about in baseball all the time and these algorithms that go into hitting nowadays and the old timers will tell you, you got to pass the eye test. Either you have talent or you don't have talent. Or you are you're, you're a good minor leaguer and you could perform at the major league level or you can't. And, the, and well-trained, seasoned eyes can make these distinctions. And I think that's what happened with Sankey. He was a good running back in college. He got the football a ton, which might have padded his numbers at Washington. He lands maybe in the wrong spot. I mean, there hasn't been a lot of running backs that have had great success in Tennessee, aside from Chris Johnson, which seems like moons ago, and then before him, I think it was probably Eddie George. So, yeah, but when yeah, you I can't
0: beat that. out a guy like Andrews, who runs like a spark plug, um, you know, but let's go over, because, you know, the the Titans is another really interesting situation. So, I'm watching, I don't watch college football. I I, I, I might tune in for the championship game, which I didn't even this year see that. And All I hear about is how Derrick Henry is the second coming, that he's not like some of the other Alabama running backs who've come out, who's dependent upon the offensive line. That's why he's looking so good. This is the guy. It's the guy. We get to the, you know, as we got closer to the draft, all of a sudden uh, everyone was more on Zeke Elliott than him. He goes in the second round after the Titans bring DeMarco Murray in, And now all I'm hearing is, well, DeMarco's going to be the guy. DeMarco, DeMarco. But DeMarco didn't look that good last year. And I think it was more than the whole Chip Kelly thing. And so what are your thoughts on Henry versus DeMarco Murray in Tennessee? Did I lose you, Justin?
1: I am here. Sorry, Todd. Uh, DeMarco Murray is... Sorry about that. He's 28, so he does have a couple seasons left in, in the tank. The biggest thing with DeMarco Murray over the course of his career has been injuries. As we, He was not happy in Philadelphia. That is no secret. However, what he did in 2014 in Dallas was a, was a season that I have not seen many other running backs do. Touching 400 rushes, he had 57 catches. It was a workload. It was a load. And, again, putting the emphasis on price in these fantasy drafts in August, DeMarco Murray is is going to be a value. And I'm finding him in a fourth round, maybe early in the fifth. Let's not, not say he's going in the fifth, but the fourth round well, is great a for him. He's got a current
0: ADP of 55.21, according to the road of his best ball app. So that mm-hmm. is fifth round.
1: And that's beautiful because I, I think they're improving the offensive line in Tennessee. I think Marcus Mariota is aging in front of us. He's growing in front of us. I think he's going to have a pretty good career in the NFL. There's some little bit of talent at wide receiver. Of course, you have Delaney Walker, who I think is a top five or six tight end in the NFL. Murray's the guy. You, you talk about Derrick Henry, He's not a guy that's going to be involved in the passing game. He wasn't involved in the passing game at Alabama. He's a bigger guy. He's, he's, more, he's kind of a plotter, Todd. He's not, I mean, I don't want to, you know, we talk about Alabama running backs. I think Mark Ingram is better than Derrick Henry is. I think Eddie Lacy is going to bounce back this season. He is a bigger guy. It's going to be DeMarco Murray. I, and they keep talking about the hot hand. And, of course, Dexter McCluster is going to get work in passing downs. You mentioned Antonio Andrews. He's still there. They drafted David Cobb last year or the year before. So it's crowded there. But in 16 games, and, of course, Dallas has a great offensive line, he had a a fantastic season in Dallas. I'm not saying that he's going to do what he did in 2014, but in a 16-game season, I think that DeMarco Murray has the upside of a top 12, running back in, in, um, in PPR formats. I think he's well capable of 40 to 50 catches this season, Todd.
0: Well, I, I don't doubt that. And yet he's a guy that I have been shying away from in drafts. I, I might live to regret it. And Henry, when I first started doing MFL 10s, you, you would find him going in the seventh or eighth round. I'm, I'm picking him up in some recent drafts as late as the 12th or 13th round. And I, I think that at once you get past the ninth or tenth round, uh, a guy with his pedigree is just, you know, just ridiculous. Uh, I own him six times with an average pick of 100. So I'm very comfortable with taking a chance on Derrick Henry. I do think you're right that DeMarco Murray will be given the first chance but I, I don't think teams draft people in the second round without the intention of using them if they play well. So I think this is definitely even more than some of the other situations we've talked about. One that I'm going to be paying close attention to, and I'm hoping that Derek Henry can show some stuff because he certainly is the better goal linebacker. and. If he, you know, if he poaches five or six touchdowns and he ends up getting 40 to 50 percent of the workload on first and second down, I think he can pay off that draft pick.
1: Absolutely. And, And like Dave said, I mean, running backs are hurt constantly. We can it's something we can depend on running backs being hurt. Draft them in the 12th or 13th round. It adds depth to your team. It gives you a little bit of insurance. You're probably going to, you know, if you draft Murray, you're probably definitely going to want to handcuff him with Derrick Henry later on. I got it again. It's a, it's a Tennessee team that, yeah, yes, they do play in the FC South. There's some points to be scored down there. It's a young football team um, with, you know, with running back issues. Right? Like you said, they swung and missed on Sankey, David Cobb. I don't think he's lived up to his expectations. De- Dexter McCluster, will get work on third down. He's a guy that I think you can lean on for 30 catches potentially. Um, so it, it's crowded there too, Todd. It's a, you know, we could go down just about, you know, down the list. And um, just about every NFL team, we, with the exception of four or five, have question marks surrounding the running back core.
0: Well, and that's why I wanted to do the podcast, to be honest. Anyone can sit there and tell you what, what's obvious, right? I, I wanted to dig in with other smart people and increase my own learning and get more information on some of the spots that are more up in the air because, let's face it, getting these, every, anyone can pick Todd Gurley with the seventh or eighth pick in the first round if you want a running back. Right? That doesn't take a genius. But to get these situations correct and, and pick the right player in the third to the eighth or even later round, that's what can win you fantasy leagues. Last year, that, that guy who drafted Danny Woodhead in the eighth round and you shook your head and said, boy, they, they drafted Melvin Gordon. Why are you drafting Danny Woodhead? Um, that was the guy who won a lot of fantasy leagues last year because he got a cheap running back late who stayed healthy and helped him to win the championship. The next team that we're going to look at is the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is another one of those very interesting situations that Justin and I wanted to dig into. So you draft TJ Yeldon with the second round pick, he was banged up a little bit and, but he played pretty well considering, uh, And a lot of people felt that he would improve his second year, but they go out and spend a a lot of money to bring Chris Ivory in. So what are your thoughts on that
1: situation? Well, first and foremost, I love this Jacksonville Jaguars offense, and I think that they're going to score some points in the AFC South. I love Blake Bortles. I mean, I I don't think Blake Bortles is Joe Montana, but you have to love Allen Robinson, they just locked up Alan Hearns for four years. Marquise Lee, who's there, the third-year guy at USC. Obviously, they, they spent some money on Julius Thomas, so they have a premier tight end. Uh, nobody scored more touchdowns than JT in the last three years. But it, 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 I think it ha- when, when you go out and you draft TJ Yeldon, like you said, and then you go and sign Chris Ivory, I think it shows some type of maybe concern that Yeldon cannot carry the load initially. I thought that he was a three down guy or the Jag, the Jaguars are doing what every other team in the NFL is doing. And that's these one, two punches. Some of these teams have three guys that are, that are in the mix often. And I think that's where you'll see when, And Chris Ivory is coming off a season Todd, that we haven't seen him have, um, you know, he, he did this one game, but he was up around 250 rushes. He had 30 catches, and he was a guy that you were 10 with on your roster. He does. He runs with a bit of physicality. Reminds me of Marshawn Lynch in that respect, uh, like a, a miniature Marshawn Lynch. He's definitely not Marshawn Lynch, but he runs with that physicality and aggressiveness that have, that have put him, you know, on the shelf for a couple of games. It's going to be a one-two punch. Shoelace, Denard Robinson is still in the mix in Jacksonville. So there, there could be three running backs, potentially Todd, that are getting 10 to 12, 10 to 15 touches per game and another committee in the NFL right there in, in the Jacksonville Jaguars. But there's no question that team is going to score a ton of points on any given week.
0: Yeah, I, this is out of all the situations we've mentioned so far, this is the one where I, I haven't really drafted anyone So far. And I'll tell you why. Uh, Besides the fact that I really don't know who's going to be the guy. And I do think that there's going to be some kind of a split, as you mentioned, but this is a situation. I don't think anyone threw more in the red zone than the Jaguars did. And I, I just don't know that I want to invest a draft choice at their current ADP when I, I just think that there's guys with better opportunities, more settled situations, at the same time I'm seeing Ivory and Yeldon go. They're both talented running backs. Uh, the one negative about Chris Ivory is I do think that, you know, he starts out with a bang every year. But he's a guy who doesn't seem to hold up that well to a big workload. So I anticipate him being a 10-carry-a-game guy. I think Yeldon will be about the same. And I, I just don't know that you can, in that offense, where they're so pass-happy near the goal line, and they've got three outstanding red zone targets in Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns, and remember, Julius Thomas It was hurt most of the first half of the year, and he started seeing red zone targets as the year wore on. I'm just off the the Jaguar running backs at their current ADP and that could change as
1: time goes on,
0: but that's where I'm at with the Jaguars. Your thoughts.
1: 29 touchdowns in the last three years for Julius Thomas. So they're going to use him inside the red zone. Like you said, they have, they just locked up Alan Hearns, which is a great move and Allen Robinson. So in a year or so, you might be talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars having one of the top two or three wide receiver duos in the league, if not by midseason this year. And they're definitely going to sling the rock. And like you said, when there's, I think there's degrees of uncertainty within these platoons on each team. This might be a team that it might be best suited to avoid the whole situation and stay away from Yeldon and Ivory. And if you were going to draft either guy it might be best you know of your interest to draft both of these guys to ensure you know now if there's an injury to one of these guys obviously the workload would pick up for the other but it it does remain more of a um again i'll use the word ambiguous situation in jacksonville on a team that's going to throw the ball a great deal
0: yeah i'm passing on this one right now TJ Yeldon is going off at the 80th pick um so you know that's no it, you know that's that's just not uh not not a great honestly it's just not a great well hold on i did that wrong let me look at that again uh yeah his, his adp is uh 79.46 ivory is 97 so you know, both of the you know, Ivory I would say at ninety-seven there's a little bit of value. But I think the next situation and the last situation we're gonna talk about, compare those two guys uh to Baltimore. And Javorius Allen right now's ADP is one forty-four. So you can get him in the twelfth round, you can get Forset at 109 so you can get either one of those backs in the same kind of situation where there's two backs and it might be a split I'm I'm much more interested in in Forsett or Buck Allen than I am with uh, Yeldon and uh, Chris Ivory what are your thoughts about Baltimore and what do you think about what I said as it relates to if you're going to go with a split, why not go with the one that is a little bit later? And both of those guys are much better at catching the ball than either of the Jaguars guys.
1: Yeah, and you're talking about price here, and it's pertinent to, to this discussion. I mean, there's no doubt that the Ravens have a, a cloudy situation as well. Of course, Justin Forsett had some fantastic – Games and 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 Buck Allen is very capable, but then the Baltimore Ravens go out and draft Kenneth Dixon at Louisiana Tech round four, and all and they locked him up for four years. There are a number of beat writers that say that Kenneth. In fact, Alex Gelhar from NFL.com, we're going to have a, he was going to come on the podcast a few weeks ago, and Dixon was one of the guys that he wanted to talk about. He could be one of the top. Five or six rookies at any position. So Forsett, we know what he's capable of doing. We know that Buck Allen, like you said, and he's he'll be valuable in the passing game as well. So it's it, Lorenzo Telefaro. Telefaro is still there. It's um, Terrence West, the kid from Towson. Towson that they drafted, that the Browns drafted with Isaiah Crowell. It, um, he's no longer a Brown, obviously. It's it's murky, but like you said, the price. um, It, I do see a little more upside in this in this Ravens backfield for sure. But there's no doubt about it that, you know, you look at the depth chart as I am right now, and you say, how are these touches going to be distributed? And it, you know, you look at three. I mean, there are three guys in Forsett, Buck Allen, and Kenneth Dixon, and they could all have. 10 to 12 to 15 touches a game.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I don't have much of either Forsett or Allen, just to be clear. But my point is if I was going to go to a situation Mm -hmm. that was murky, I'd rather do it and take a shot with one of those two guys or even Dixon. than I would Yeldon or Ivory. Um, You know, and I want to circle back to another point that you made that wasn't running back related, but I think it ties into the mentality of people. Um, Last year, this time, you could get Blake Bortles pretty much anywhere in an MFL 10, 18th round, 19th round, 20th round. Everyone was ready to, you know, just kill this kid and said he was a bust. I didn't believe it. I thought I saw some signs out of him. And the guy that I'm hearing it now about is David Carr. Everyone is saying David Carr is overrated. David Carr is overrated. Uh, I I don't know that I agree. I mean, it's quarterbacks take time to get up to their full potential. And, you know, with Amari Cooper in his second year, and Crabtree still playing well with an overall better defense and team. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not drafting any David Carr because there's other guys that I like around that time. But I'm not getting the David Carr hate that some of the experts are putting out there. And I do think that sometimes we mistake a good fantasy quarterback for a good. NFL quarterback, and I think both Bortles and Carr made very good strides versus expectations in year two, and I expect them to continue to grow heading into year three. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, that's just it, Todd, and I agree 100% there. Blake Bortles, here's the keys. Same thing with Derek Carr. Here are the keys. It's your job. It's your job to lose. And we have seen 2014 to 2015. Well, Derek Carr played in, in 16 games both seasons, and the numbers went up. Last year he had 32 touchdowns and 13 picks. Those are good numbers. They're real good numbers. And they are QB1-ish numbers. I mean, you might – there are going to be weeks From a second-year guy. Play. What's that? You know, mean? from a
0: second-year guy. I mean – I, right. I, 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 You know, I, the completion percentage went up from 58 points to 61. It's still not ideal, but I, I started to take your thunder a little bit, but I, I, I just don't get the hate.
1: Yeah, and, and going back to what you were saying about the talent, you talk about Amari Cooper, another Alabama guy coming from a pro-style offense. He is a top-10 wide receiver in the NFL, and he's going to have a bright future, and they are blooming and flourishing together. So the growth is there together. Michael Crabtree, had, it, I think he surprised us all last year. But he was healthy, and he had a pretty damn good season. There is some buzz about the tight end, Clive Walford, who you can get late at tight end, that, are, that is opening up some eyes in Oakland. There's a little bit of a ground game there. I think Oakland is a sneaky, sneaky team. And I wouldn't be in the least surprised if, if Derek Carr threw 35 ish touchdowns, 12, 13 interceptions. That's fine. He's my, you know, I'm per, I would, I'm perfectly content with Derek Carr in round, well, really late. Let's put it that way.
0: Well, and again, there's NFL good and there's fantasy good. This is more of a fantasy show. Um, I would not be surprised at all if Oakland was a playoff team this year. Mm-hmm. So there's my bold call in June. Um, I would not be surprised if Oakland was a playoff team that defense is greatly improved. Um, And, you know, we didn't talk about the running back situation there, but if they can get consistent running out of Latavius Murray and or Washington, the rookie, um, I Uh think that's, I think that's a pretty, pretty uh, impressive team. So any last thoughts before uh, I play some music?
1: But well, one more thing, uh, going back to Derek Carr. I, I, I asked Kirk Street of ESPN a couple of years ago, who was the most NFL-ready quarterback, and he listed two names to me, and one of them was Teddy Bridgewater. Have, I'm not going to rule him out and, and his talent around him. And the second guy was Derek Carr. And I think that he nailed Carr coming from Fresno State. I, I, I really do, and I, I've been keen on Derek Carr ever since he said that. And I think Barrow is up. And you mentioned Latavius Murray before we listened to some music. Murray was one of seven rushers last year that topped 1,000 yards. So he can handle the rock, and he can handle the rock a ton. And that is something that I like in a running back from Fantasyland. So there are a lot of Latavius Murray naysayers. But one thing we know we can get out of Murray is volume.
0: And, and he had some good weeks. Uh, he also had some bad weeks. So, uh, he runs a little high with his pad level that 's been his issue. The last issue on the Raiders since we kind of ended up finishing with the Raiders tangent is a, a lot of smart people, including Jacob Rickroad, who I think is one of the smartest guys that I talked to about football on twitter. I think that 's who it was was down on Cooper because he doesn 't get a lot of red zone touches and My comment is as a rookie not getting a lot of red zone touches isn't concerning to me as much as it seems to be for some people, because I, I, again, as a rookie, it, to me, it's a little early to call it a trend. Now it's something you have to consider when you're drafting him versus a Mike Evans or one of the other guys who are going off on the board at the same time. But I, 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 like, I like Amari Cooper to do a lot better with scoring touchdowns the second year. What, what, we'll, we'll get your final thoughts on that one.
1: I'm on, Cooper. I think the, what I would say to Jacob, who was a friend of mine, is how often are the Raiders actually in the red zone? But this team is getting better. And it's, as football fans, fantasy aside, it's good to see a team like the Oakland Raiders Get better now. As far as having Amari Cooper or Mike Evans, I lean Mike Evans. I think Mike Evans has, you know, a little bit more to offer. Um, Playing the NFC South against the Falcons a couple times and the Saints a couple times. It's um, it's a it's a coin flip. I have you know something. I've taken Mike Evans in late in the first round. Some of these NFL tens. I have not taking Amari Cooper in the first round. He's more like a mid second round guy for me, but I would be perfectly content with either or. And I think they're both two of the future premier wide receivers in the NFL.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think that I've been drafting a little more of Evans than, um, than Cooper since I, I heard about it was reminded of the red zone thing because it is so close. But Mike Evans also struggled with inconsistency in his second year. So, again, it it, it could easily be Cooper being the better guy. We're going to have to see. But that'll do it. That'll wrap it up. Um, Justin, thank you again for joining me and for getting Dave to do the podcast. That was a lot of fun. Um, Looks like we're going to be doing our MFL 10, our first podcast next week. We'll be sending stuff out. And I did neglect to mention the sponsor. Um, I work with uh, FFCouchCoach.com. They're going to be starting to host my podcasts. So you can check us out on Blog Talk Radio by searching Run to Daylight on Google. And FFCouchCoach.com, if you're looking for great dynasty advice, they've got great free articles on dynasty sports And I actually throw an article in there every once in a while as well. Justin, thank you so much. It was great having you on. I think we proved it all hour long, and we'll leave you with some Bruce Springsteen, and he'll prove it all night long as well.